as the most glamorous city on earth, Hollywood, California, a city where men and women skyrocket to fame or plunge to oblivion. What happens amid the glamour of such famous gathering places as the Ambassador Pool, the Trocadero on the Gold Coast of the film city, at the Brown Derby where famous stars meet, or in the gay setting of Santa Anita Park? It's all a part of fantastic Hollywood, Hollywood at playtime. Here behind the walls of Selznick International Studio, we see Hollywood at work. A new Janet Gaynor is in the making. A Janet Gaynor never before seen on the screen. Co-starring is Frederick March, more likable, more swashbuckling than ever before. And now we take you behind the scenes. Director William A. Wellman is guiding Janet Gaynor and Frederick March as they will appear in the David O. Selznick Technicolor production, A Star is Born. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Podcast Goes To. This week, we're talking about a movie from 1937, A Star is Born. I'm Bob, here's Matt, and Matt, give me some good news, man. I have some great news, Bob. We don't have to do the show this week. We brought someone along to do it with us. And by with us, I mean for us. We have a special guest. Yo. <laughs> Am I supposed to introduce myself now? Is that what happens? Yeah, we, we try to minimize the amount of work we do. So you go ahead and do your introduction. Oh, okay. Hey, I'm Keith Brown. And uh, yeah, they're forcing me to do this. How are you? <laughs> Oh, really? Is that what happened, Matt? You told me Keith begged to be on the show. Now I'm hearing different things. No, think... no, no. I, w- I wanted to do it since it started, but school was too crazy, so school's over now. Good. Congratulations. So yeah, Keith Brown, our first special guest. We've talked about him a lot on the show, and now here he is to discuss A Star is Born, the first ever color film to be nominated for Best Picture. Keith, how was the film screening? I, we talked a little bit about that on the show. We even had one of your students advertise on the show. Don't think she ended up listening, but at least she paid for the ad. Or did you pay for the ad? I paid for it. She's going to have to pay me back a dollar. Um, yeah, so it was good. It was three hours, which is, you know, a long time. Uh, but it was good. The longest movie was, I think, 32 or 34 minutes or something like that. Um, but to be honest with you, they told me this when, before we screened it and I, I do believe it, it doesn't feel long. The story is really engaging. You know, Amelia was there. She was sitting next to me the whole time. She's like, I don't know what's going to happen. And it's true. Like, so you'll have to take a look at it and let us know what you think. So yeah, it was really good. Uh, I feel like that the screening is more of a graduation for these students than graduation actually is. So they all have a good time. So yeah, so, so the screening is held at the end of the semester, and it's usually, what, the just a, uh, uh, is it a semester-long project that they all do? So semester-long projects, so if you direct a movie, you just work on one project, and so um, there was like 20-some people in the class this semester, so I think there was seven movies maybe in one class shoot, and then uh, the other class had four class shoots, and those movies were only like two or three minutes long, so it's a lot of work. Like, as I say every year, I, I don't know how they actually do it all in one semester. And they're getting more and more complex, and they're all now hiring talent. Um, so that sort of steps up the game some, too. Of course, some of the talent are in multiple movies. So you're like, but you were just a killer five minutes ago, and now you're a dad, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> <laughs> I remember in one of my movies, I had a girl. She was supposed to be like a 17-year-old girl in the movie. And then in the very next movie, she was getting married. <laughs> and then which then she also was attacking aliens right i i don't know like it was just like it was too hard to like 
<laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy. There's a few people that show up in multiple multiple projects because, you know, we have a lot of trouble getting talent down here, and um, and then once somebody gets one person, they're they're you know the other people are like, oh my god, they're awesome. I want them in my movie. So yeah. I remember when I was in school, it was when they didn't have nice cameras. You're we still recording on, what were they, mini DV tapes? It was still like tapes in the beginning when I was there. And we weren't casting people. It was just like, who in the class is free to play this character? And there was one semester where I played in like five different movies. Well, there's still that too. There's students that appear in like tons of movies too. Near the end of the near the end of the screening, it's like I had a few students that appear in a lot of movies, especially the class shoots. It's crazy to think that the movie that we're discussing today, talking about the first picture to be nominated that was made in color and now Probably the most basic courses you teach have, I mean, technology that is just was unfathomable in 1937. Right. Well, well, even sort of the narrative of the film, right? It's like this girl, this woman wants to go to Hollywood so bad to be in a movie. And nowadays you don't need to go to Hollywood to be in a movie. You could just make one yourself, you know, but she couldn't, she couldn't do that. She was stuck in North Dakota or wherever she was, where they didn't even have cars. Like when her when her like grandma brings her to the train station and it's in a horse drawn carriage, I was like, "Don't they have a car?" Like what? <laughs> I love the grandma character. So Keith is of course talking about the main character in the movie that we're discussing this week, A Star Is Born. And yes, for those of you who listened to our Bound for Glory episode, we did pick One Hundred Men and a Girl. However, uh, it is inaccessible. It's very difficult to get. So we, we switched at the last second. Uh, and it's our friend Janet Gaynor from Seventh Heaven returning triumphantly. I knew I recognized her. Yeah, so she returns. We finally get to hear her voice. And she plays Esther Victoria, who wants to be a movie star. She lives in North Dakota. And her somewhat racist grandma, did you hear the comment she made about how an engine shot her husband that's crazy she was in the middle of an inspirational speech and then she said an engine shot her, shot her husband i thought um, Ro- i thought roseanne was in this movie <laughs> so her so her grandmother roseanne encourages her to go to hollywood and chase her dreams and that is exactly what she does so um and hilarity drama and heartbreak ensues so bob what was your initial thought of this movie so was this supposed to be like a comedy i think it was a dramedy because the the humor it was really witty banter throughout the entirety of the movie but there was also very serious undertones and a strong um i I felt like the theme wasn't a comedic theme it was very serious so i think it was meant to be funny but also something that we had an emotional reaction to is that the vibe that you got, Keith? Yeah, although uh, you know the—I I don't know how how far we get to before we say spoiler alert. But the the ending, I, I was sort of no, no one's gonna watch this movie. <laughs> it was a lot, you know. So Even, I really liked this movie. Yeah, I mean, I did too. I, you know, it is very dated. Um, you know, and the whole time I was thinking, cause I didn't know when, when we talked about what we were going to watch and we picked this, I didn't realize that they were remaking it like right now, or they've already shot the remake. Um, which is really interesting. I, I know about the 1970s remake, which I haven't seen. Um, so I'm sort of curious to watch that or this new one, obviously to sort of see how that's sort of updated. I mean, I think that it's really easy to make the theme the same, you know, to have this, this 
other person outshadow the other person regardless. I'm guessing it's the same sex roles, right? Like, so Lady Gaga is playing the Vicky part or whoever. Esther, Vicky, whatever her name is. Vicky, Vicky. But I'm curious now if they would end with a death. Oh my god, did you just ruin the ending? I haven't got, I haven't finished it yet. I'm watching it while I'm talking to you guys. I have a busy schedule, all right? The the grandma, she jumps in a lake. (laughs) R.I.P. R.I.P. Grandma. Which grandma? grandma So I want to take it back to the beginning. It just starts with this poor girl just getting wailed on by, who was the other old woman? Is that her aunt? It was an aunt. Yeah, for some reason it was an aunt. Like, it was her aunt and her husband. It was like her aunt and her dad. And it was just like, why couldn't that have just been her mom? Yeah, it was it was confusing family dynamic. Kind of like, it reminded me of like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory where there's just like a bunch of random grandparents all just laying in a bed in the room. It's just like so many random family members who all just don't really match in age at all. And she's just like, shitting on her dreams <laughs> this woman <laughs> that's how the movie opens up and i just i love how this woman like to establish the whole theme of the movie shits on her dreams makes her feel like garbage and then you never see or hear from this woman again <laughs> well i was surprised when the grandmother even resurfaced at the end of the movie because i was thinking they had that family and then like she totally forgets about them until the end when the grandmother just arrives yeah, and her grandmother gave her, like, her, the last money she had to her name to, like, help this girl, like, follow her dreams. <laughs> I mean, how is she going to call an Uber horse-drawn carriage now? She has no more money. Exactly. And she wasted it. She, like, she was so, like, silly and, like, clueless. She goes there, and she's like, I have $11 left. And then that dude's like, well, I'm not going to buy you a drink. You're going to buy me a drink. <laughs> and then they're, like, drinking. And he's like, let's get one more round. It's like she's spending her money on like drinking with some random dude. <laughs> like her grandma gave her this money that so she could be successful. So I sort of I didn't really mind that the grandma never came back until she did at the end. I, I didn't. It, to me, that was sort of the setup, and it wasn't an integral part of the story. I think that the grandma was there to to sort of to set the stage for what was going to happen. It was sort of like a prologue. It didn't seem too much. It was almost like in Saving Private Ryan, where the you know it's the grave yard and then they flash back to the story it sort of had that disconnect for me i didn't really mind it well i mean without the grandmother she'd never been she would never have been able to actually go to hollywood yeah that's true that's true so and i didn't mind that she was so she was like not smart enough to be able to handle her money she wasn't she was a very naive and dreamy character she had these big aspirations but she didn't really know anything about the reality of those of those dreams and how to achieve them. So I, but I think that that fit right in that she didn't have any money <laughs> and she ends up meeting up with that guy who's, he sounded like a, a voice actor. <laughs> I don't know. And then at one point he kind of sounded like Casey Kasem and I was very confused. I meant who, which, what's that guy's name? I was like, is he Winnie the Pooh? Didn't he sound like Winnie the Pooh? <laughs> he was in, Ro- he was in Robin Hood. He was in the animated Robin Hood. Andy oh, okay. Devine. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I was close. Yeah, I think he did play a bear, but it was in a different animated movie. Oh, okay. I get my animated bears confused. So, <laughs> I'm going to stop up. you guys right there. Somehow, my audio recorder has died. So, for our hardcore listeners, we're very sorry, but Bob had a little bit of audio problems, and uh, they are being resolved. So, we should not have to deal with that. Can you hear me now? 
I unfortunately yes, I can hear you. I can hear you just fine. Well, lucky for everyone, I never say anything of value anyway. So <laughs> sad. <laughs> I'm so just here friend... to crack a joke here or there. Give give the so listeners. So our friend Esther, she goes to Hollywood and meets Norman Maine, the star actor who also has an alcohol problem. And quickly they fall in love with one another and Norman gets her a role, a starring role in a movie. But as fate would have it, as her stardom rises, his falls. And we struggle through that dynamic for the majority of the movie. That is the central conflict of the movie. And once again, we have a character who is a central character who fades away. We never really see Danny McGuire, the sec, the assistant director after we meet Norman Maine and the uh, Oliver Niles character. That was, that was I, I was a little thrown off by that. You I thought a that little, the, he was he like seemed a, a little towards the end. Yeah, He's like a witness during their wedding. Like when they get the, when they get married in like the courthouse or whatever, or like the jail, there's like prisoners <laughs> witnessing the wedding. He's like the he's like the witness signer. And then it seems almost like Oliver takes over that role for the third act of the movie. Yeah, I thought I thought the love interest was gonna be just her and that first guy she met. Oh, you thought it was gonna be Danny? Yeah, I just assumed it. It was like, oh, they're kind of like building a relationship here. They're getting drinks together and they're helping each other out. Um, and then it just I don't know, it just kind of fizzled a different direction. I found that this movie kind of jumped all over the place in time like just as you're about to see something they just cut to like months in the future so it happens in the beginning um she she travels to la she finds that place to to live for what was it six six dollars a week in la <laughs> and, and the ad said no cowboys allowed yeah. no cowboys what's no. up with that yeah that's bullshit cowboys i'm sure had six dollars to spare cowboys need places to live too yeah it was complete they're too rowdy would you let cowboys live in your beach houses uh only if they took their spurs off because they could damage the floors (laughs) should we do you want to put out an ad uh for your beach rentals keith (laughs) i'm i'm afraid of what that would bring are you are you looking down on our listeners keith (laughs) no our listener (laughs) our listener hi mom so no, I'm just kidding. My mom definitely doesn't listen to this, but we'll go into that later. But anyway, she gets there, and then all of a sudden, she goes into that um, that office, and she's like, oh, I want to be an extra, and the woman's like, whatever, like, you're never going to make it. And that was a month. She's like, oh, I've been here for a month. So it's just a month goes by with, like, no notice, and then all of a sudden, she buys that dude drinks, and then, like, the next scene, they're at the opera house or whatever, that, like, ball. And he's like, she's like, oh, thank you for helping me out financially. It's like, wait, you were just buying him things the other day. <laughs> now he's helping you? Like, when did this happen? Like, I just felt like it just jumped so quickly. It never really felt rushed like that for me. I didn't necessarily mind that. Uh, there are certain movies where I feel like the, it things happen in the same period of time within the context of the movie, like in the same 30 minutes of screen time. But they'll also happen within a day, and it's unrealistic. So I, I, I didn't mind that like a couple months had gone by. So it, it shows that she has been there for a while and has been struggling for a while, and as opposed to like the next day he gets a job, and the day after that she meets Norman Maine, and the day after that they're getting married, which has sort of been the case with a few of these movies. Like Roman Holiday took place in the span of 24 hours. 
That was kind of weird. American in Paris took place over the course of two days. That was a little rushed. No, that's fine. I, I like the time span. Like, I don't think she should be able to find a job in a month if you're trying to establish that it's hard to get a job. It just, I never knew when it was coming. They would just casually drop a line that said, oh, three weeks have gone by. Oh, he's been gone for four days. <laughs> you know, like, so, like when he goes on his like little drinking excursion and disappears, it's like, I haven't seen him in four days. It's like, where, what happened in these four days to either of you? <laughs> I just never knew. It doesn't feel like, you know, I, and again, I don't know how much things cost in L.A. in 1937 besides the room was $6 a week. Or was it $6 a week? I wrote it down. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, $6, $6, $6 a week. $6 a week, yeah. Um, so, I mean, it, I don't really feel like that she's struggling. That I don't really see her struggle. Like, you would think that she'd be working a random job, you know, to make money. Like, how much money did the grandmother give her that she's able to stay there for that long before she actually gets that job at that dinner party where – all the white men in Hollywood are talking about their ridiculous ideas. <laughs> yes, this was another white movie. Uh, there was not, although there was one Hispanic person who was drunk and sentenced to 60 that's, days or something right, in yeah. prison for being drunk. But outside of like, that. How, how but, do you plead? Guilty, I guess. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> send him back to jail. It subverted expectations in different ways, though, for me. Like, I felt like the female character was a little bit stronger than what I have come to expect for this time period, especially when Norman's drunk in that opening interaction between them, and she rebukes his advances. And then later when she's like, when he's like, will you marry me? And she's like, nah, no thanks. I, 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 that's different than what I'm used to seeing. Right. I, I totally picked up on that. Do you want to come back to my room type of thing? And she's like, no, because I feel like that's how it worked then. Yeah. You know, even that's probably how it works in some cases now. Um, but how do, how do you think you I know, got on this show, Keith? That's, <laughs> you know, but out of, out of all the talk about what Hollywood is like, you know, it was interesting to see her in 1937 say, mm, no, I'm not doing that, you know? Yeah, that was that was one of the intentions that the director had in making the movie was he wanted to shine the spotlight on on Hollywood. And I think he, he achieved that in a lot of ways. There were some aspects of it that did not paint Hollywood in the best of of lights, especially that seedy uh, publicist character. I did that was not my like favorite character. Oh, I hated that guy. <laughs> He's he such had, an asshole. He had the most amazingly deep voice, and he was such a dick to perfection. I loved him. <laughs> What's your name? No, your name sucks. How about Vicky? Vicky sounds great. <laughs> I did not like him. I wasn't even amused by him. He was the only one that felt like a caricature. The, the others felt at least somewhat like realistic characters. But publicists aren't like real people. They're just these evil <laughs> caricatures of just awfulness well i was just having this discussion today about the whole roseanne thing right and it's like you know back in the day when there was no social media the all these famous people had publicists to sort of like make sure that the image of them that got out there to the public was like a super clean one but now all these these famous people don't even have that person they're just like typing whatever they think at the time on their phone while they're on ambien and doing whatever you know so it was interesting to sort of to think about those two things together, too, about how the, the, the image of these people were controlled by the studio, basically. It must be so difficult for studios to deal with new actors and actresses who have 
a, like a base of social media that spans back to when they were 12 years old at this point, and now they're adults and they have to deal with the consequences of all of their opinions being out there. I, if I were, I would not allow talent to have social media accounts, I don't think. Like if I were an agent or a manager, I'd be like, no, you're not allowed to tweet anymore. Because <laughs> like, it's, it's, that's, I mean, Roseanne's going to be fine. She's going to sign like a multi-million dollar book deal and get a talk show or something. She's going to be okay. But I mean, it's, it's embarrassing. It also sucks for like all the people that jumped on that show and it just began. And because someone that wasn't you tweets something, you know, the show gets instantly canceled. You know, that must really suck for like those people. But but how as the how do you not think that that is something is going to happen if you say something like that regardless of whether you're trying to be funny if you are racist whatever like no matter what you writing people are going to respond in some way if you're that big it's not like you're this no name person oh I agree with that I'm just saying for the people who aren't her on the show like it must suck not having that in your hands and someone else says something and now you're you know now you're canceled sure well that is sort of what happens in this movie in a certain way is like. Norman Maine's ruining the the studio. His movies are, I mean, they're profitable, but no one wants to see him in the movies anymore because he isn't, he's a drunk and he can't act anymore because of his alcoholism. And the studio cuts him as a result of that. And so it's interesting that you bring up Roseanne. This sort of has a similar, a similar thing happens to him, right? I mean, he can't control his actions and he ends up losing his career. I felt bad for Norman. And I really thought that the acting in this was was exceptional, especially for Frederick March, who plays Norman. Well, I also thought that it was interesting that the way you deal with an alcoholism problem is they put you in a sanitarium or they put you in, yeah, a sanitarium. They put you in a mental institution because at that point, they didn't really know what to do with those people except lock them up. I expected him to come down in a straitjacket. <laughs> they were like, I'm going to go get him. <laughs> I liked the subtlety of his of his character. Like I, I I don't know what I wrote down exactly, but it was like when he does the double take the first time he sees Janet Kaner's character, it seemed so genuine that he was surprised to see her. It was almost like his character was con constantly surprised by what was happening next, as opposed to the publicist who I always felt was reading his lines. This this actor seemed to always be authentic. And who was that woman he was with before? That was his girlfriend. Or it seemed to me that maybe it was another actress that the studio probably had paired him up with for social appearances so they could get publicity that way. Because she didn't really seem that engaged. Yeah, to me, it was it, it was like the same situation, I thought. Kind of like in Phantom Thread, where one woman's out and the, the other woman's in. It just seemed like he did the same exact thing. He met some woman, he made her an actress. Because uh, the studio producer dude... When he's on the phone with him, he alludes to that. He's like, oh, I want to make this woman a star. And they're like, oh, you've done this a million times before. So I just assumed it was that. And then she shows up randomly when they're going through the makeup test with Vicky later, with Esther later in the movie, and just peeks over and then vanishes. And then you don't hear from her again. Until the Academy Awards. <laughs> Until the Academy Awards, which is just really strange. That was another thing I noticed was that none of the women were friendly with one another in the movie. Like, they weren't allowed to be helping each other out. They were all rivals. Very interesting indeed. You know what else is interesting, Matt? Movie decades. That's right. It's time. <laughs> That's a very good segue. I'm getting better. I'm learning from the best. The, the View? Yeah. 
<laughs> what is with you and the view? I'm gonna book my tickets to the view again soon, like tonight or tomorrow. Haven't you haven't you been like four times? Oh, I've been like ten times. Do they know you at this point? They should just be like, oh, no, there's but I feel like I know them. Like I know, the, I like, I feel like I know all the crew when I go there, and they really have no idea who I am. Are, it's okay. Are you and Whoopi on a first name basis? No, let's keep going. Movie decades. <laughs> okay, next year. Next year. Next week, we are heading to the decade 1960. The decade of the 60s. Strange that the first three movies we pick are in the three decades that we had not yet discussed. That I feel is... it's rigged, but I can't see it's Matt's computer not. screen, so I don't know for sure. It is not rigged whatsoever. So we'll go ahead and take a quick break. When we come back, we will discuss. I hope that you guys prepared your top five movies of the last 10 years. Bob's face indicates otherwise, but we will I, see. I got some work cut break. out for me in this break. <laughs> Do some Oscar talk and uh, who knows, discuss the remakes. There have been three remakes for this movie. We'll discuss those coming up next on the podcast goes to. But don't come to see a star is born expecting to find a Cinderella story or a glorification of motion pictures. Instead, you will be shocked by the price that must be paid in heartbreak and tears for every moment of triumph in Hollywood. What I'm here to find out is do I get them or do I get them? Unforgettable scenes of drama, intimate secrets in the lives of the great, bold revelations of how screen careers are ruined, come to light in Selznick International's Technicolor production, A Star is Born. And we are back here on the podcast goes to talking about 1937's A Star is Born. We're here with Bob and our special guest, Keith Brown. And Keith, since you are our guest this week, why don't you tell us what you have been watching recently? So I have movie pass, so I go to the movies a lot. But you know what's funny is that I got it during Oscar season, and it was great because I saw a lot of great movies. But on any given day, the movies showing at the local movie theater are usually crap. So I saw the Melissa McCarthy movie, which was horrible. Is that the uh, one where Tully, she's in a sorority? She goes back to college, oh, and she they move her into a dorm with some girl. I was like, that is not believable. And then um, Keith, you don't Tully to, was... You don't go to a Melissa McCarthy movie for realism. I know, but Tully, Tully was really good. Now, which one's that? Tully is the Charlize Theron and uh, Ron Livingston film. That I think is a did Duplass direct it? I can't remember now. Oh, really? He's, or he produ- or he produced it. Maybe is it a sequel to Sully? <laughs> it is not. Um, I was very surprised. You can't. I can't really tell you about it because at the end I was like, wow. So it was. Re- it was really, really interesting and really well I done. I just remember watching that trailer and the trailer literally being about nothing. And I was like, is this movie about nothing? <laughs> like, what is this movie? Yeah, about? Yeah. It's because they can't, they can't really tell you what it's about. Oh, okay. You have to see it, which is, which is good. I mean, I just, you know, my, my one-on-one online class just started and they watched Baghead for the first time and I don't allow them to read anything about it before they, and some of them like, were like, we were so annoyed that I didn't know what was supposed to happen here. And it's like, that's because you read it, you read everything and then you watch it and then you know, and like, what's the point of that? I don't really, I just it, don't but, understand um, that. That's, that seems like it's ingrained in the, the comic book and super, like the superhero fandom and Star Wars fandom is like, everyone wants to read the spoilers. They can't wait until the movie comes out. It's so bizarre to me. Well, you know, I'm so old that there was a time where you couldn't read about anything, <gasps> you know, like what? there's no way you could find out that information. 
because I was born I, I was born uh, the year A Star Is Born came out in 1937. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Keith was born before they had words to read. That is incredibly <laughs> your first. But I mean, it used to, it wasn't that long ago that like you couldn't even look up trailers for movies. You had to see them in the movie theater and that's right, the only place right. that you saw them. Now everything is so easy to access. They even released the Super Bowl ads before the Super Bowl. It's like everything's lost its novelty. I also saw the Ruth Bader Ginsburg documentary, which was amazing because she can plank much longer than I can. And she's like 90 years old (laughs) and she's had cancer twice and she's never missed a day of work. It was really a documentary. It was was really interesting. Because I saw it in theaters and I thought it was just like a fictionalized film about her. No, no. It was really interesting. So I saw this other movie about uh, uh, Godard. Uh, it was called Godard Mon Amour, which was all right. It wasn't as, it wasn't really what I thought. I was going to all. Was the, that also a documentary? No, it was not. But I was going to all the movies at the cable car because now it's closed. Oh, so that's right. I was trying to get as as much uh, grilled cheese and uh, latte as I could while I watched a movie. The cable car was a great local theater in Providence, and Keith and I used to go there every year to watch the Oscar shorts. And instead of chairs, half of the theater it's just like leather couches that I very often lost my keys in the cushions. I recall that vividly. It was, it was also very interesting if you went in a group of three and you ended up on a couch with somebody you did not know and you sort of like ended up sinking towards the middle with them and then all of a sudden you were like in their lap and you'd never met them before. <laughs> so, you know, that's always interesting. Wow. That's always fun. I've never been there, but it sounds tremendous. <laughs> yeah. Well, now you can't go. I will I'm miss so sorry. sinking into your lap, Keith. So any TV shows that you're watching? Well, I was watching Roseanne. Ooh. R.I.P. And, uh, not anymore. And then I finished Divorced. Um, uh, and then I, I have, uh, I was watching, I've been, as always, watching Watch What Happens Live with Andy Cohen because I find that really funny. If you haven't seen the episode with Oliver Hudson, you have to because it's very bizarre and hysterical. I don't know who Oliver Hudson is. It's Goldie Hawn's son. Oh. But, she, but he's not named Oliver Hawn? No, because his father's name was Hudson. Oh, okay. Interesting. <laughs> I, you know how that works, Matt? Apparently he I'm, doesn't. <laughs> I don't. Well, I mean, yeah, that's that's true. That's true. I guess he could have gotten a fake name like our friend Esther Victoria, who they renamed Vicky Lester in, the, in A Star is Born. I also just finished the second season of Divorce, and it was very good. I liked it better than the first season. I like that oh show. God. Molly Shannon cracks me up. I love. Oh her. my god, the last episode, so funny. When <laughs> I love when she crashes her car into like every car in the parking lot. <laughs> okay, spoiler spoiler alert. Okay, well anyway, um, <laughs> people didn't know they were getting spoilers to random TV shows that have nothing to do d- with this d- movie. divorce by with Sarah Jessica Parker and Molly Shannon for the. <laughs> oh man, maybe I should check that show out. I do love Sarah Jessica Parker. Y- you'd like it then. Yeah. I mean, if you like Sex in the City. I love Sex and Matt in the worked City. on season one. Season one, episode one. Really? Oh, just, just episode the pilot. one. Wow, that's exciting. Now I definitely want to see it. Yeah, me and SJ, we're on, we're pretty tight. That's what she likes. You to know be what's called. good about it, Bob, is that you literally go back and forth between being really angry at the husband and then really angry at Sarah Jessica Parker and then really annoyed at the husband and then like you can't pick a side and stay on it. I found. Sounds like my childhood. <laughs> but did you have a drunken aunt who uh, randomly picks up children at a at a liquor store? No, but I do have a crazy cat lady aunt who goes to Disney World once a month and has never married or had kids. 
Interesting. Well, wow, you're someone to call someone a crazy cat person. I've seen you in several cat shirts since we've started this podcast. You don't have to like cats to want to wear shirts with them on it. Do you, yes. As you long can. as he's not wearing a cat suit, I think it's okay. I did wear one at <laughs> the a... film festival. <laughs> Is that a suit that that looks like a cat, or is that a suit made of from cats? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's I think it's like what Catwoman would wear. Ooh! In the nineteen sixties Batman series. Wow! <laughs> I wouldn't mind seeing that. <laughs> Maybe we'll get that. We are in the nineteen sixties next week. <laughs> do, you, do you think Matt, Batman made the cut? Probably not. Oh, you know what else I just watched too is the David Letterman Netflix interview thing, which is really good. He interviewed. Uh, Tina Fey, that's with the last episode, and I watched the Obama one and the George Clooney one, which they were all really, really good. Is there, speaking of documentaries and interviews and everything, isn't there a new Serena Williams documentary coming to HBO? Yes, it's already on. I've heard about it from The View. Not that I watch that that often, but that's where I've heard about it. Second View reference, but okay. (laughs) And, um, but she just won her first Grand Slam match. So are they still filming it? Are they filming her whole comeback? I've heard that people have lost interest already because there's not much going on. Oh, because they made a joke that it looked like she was in a Catwoman outfit. Yeah, she's in like a... Because <laughs> she was wearing all black. Yeah, she's in like this onesie outfit that's really not a flattering outfit. I was walking back from the beach this weekend and there was a man in a rental property on a deck who was dressed in a fluorescent orange romper, which I found very interesting. Oh, so you walked past me? <laughs> you didn't even wave? I know. I'd like to Sorry. formally file my paperwork for not a romper guy i just think they're so disgusting is that form r492 <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, so last week we talked about the top five movies of the last decade and i gave my five it was a tree of life the curious case of benjamin button her forgetting sarah marshall and one more Beast of the Southern Wild, I think. Oh, and The Great Beauty. So six. Well, <laughs> so I cheated. you already failed, Matt. <laughs> I cheated. So I asked uh, I asked Bob to come with his. Bob, do you have your... Yeah, did you come up with a list? I do. I do. You sound unenthusiastic about it. It's tough to narrow down movies from 10 years into five movies. I did, though. I have here Interstellar, Inglorious Bastards... Grand Budapest Hotel, The Danish Girl, and and Thor Ragnarok. Read them and weep. (laughs) Wow. Read them and weep. I'm I'm I I don't picture you saying the Danish girl. I uncontrollably cried in the theaters while watching that movie. When the when the scarf blew away. It just the whole the whole thing. I thought those two performances, Eddie Redmayne and Alicia Vikander, were just like the most amazing performances I've ever seen on screen. I, I I thought that movie was incredible. Every time I watch it, I cry. It was very moving. Remember, Matt, we kept waiting for them to say, you're the Danish girl. Yes. But they never they said They never it. did. But they did eat a Danish, didn't they? I don't think so. I think you made that <laughs> oh, up. No, that, that never just... happened. I think you were eating a Danish. Oh, that's what it was. Saying, yes, it was delicious now that I remember. Or we, we sat next to a Danish person. <laughs> Was that the perform? He didn't win for that though. He won for he won um, the year theory of everything. Yeah, right? so he won the year before for theory of any everything. He should have won that year, but freaking Leonardo DiCaprio won for Revenant over him. Oh yeah, bullshit. but Vikander won that year. Yeah, so they they pulled that crap where they they made her a supporting actress. And my hands are in quotes, uh, even though she is the whole movie. 
So they made her a supporting actress. She won um, because they knew she wasn't going to win against Brie Larson for Room. So it was a tough year. It was a tough year. This is a great. That was a great year, and she was she was great in Ex Machina too. I think she's a really and that was the same year actress. That was the same Oscar year as Ex Machina. Yeah. See now, if this was if this was Janet Gaynor rules from 1928, then she would have won because her it would have been her combined performances of that year, and she would have won. <laughs> well, I can't argue with that, Matt. I can't argue with that. So da- so Danish girl Thor Ragnarok, which I did really love. Um, what else was Thor on the Ragnarok list? is number one, by the way. Number one. I've never seen that. It's it's probably the greatest movie ever. And Interstellar. So that is the, clearly your favorite. Is that your favorite Nolan movie, or would you say Memento or Prestige would have no, snuck in? No, Inter- Interstellar in is by years. far. But I I have to admit something horrible is I haven't seen Inception yet. Oh wow. I'm getting around to it. Don't worry. <laughs> That's a polarizing movie. Inception. Inception's more of an action movie. It's 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 conceptually brilliant. I don't want to hear was... anything. I'll watch it eventually. Okay, great, Bob. Fuck you too. <laughs> so, Keith, what uh, what is, do you have a list as well? All right. So I have a list, but when I was writing them, I couldn't refer to all of your notes you sent me today at once. So I knew it was from ten years, but I didn't know the number. So I wrote, do I need to pare this down, or should I just can, read them you all can really read quickly them all. to make it? All right. So and and you'll find that like they're very weirdly grouped because it's basically a lot of the same director together multiple times. So, boy... <laughs> so Blue Jasmine, <laughs> Blue yeah, that's one. So Boyhood and Before Midnight are on there because those uh-huh. are both Linklater. I love him. Uh, and then Skyfall and Blue Jasmine and Still Alice, which was really moving. And that's the one where uh, Julianne Moore, Juliana, yeah, she won that Julianne year. And Moore realizes, yeah, realizes that she is going to get dementia. Yeah, Hateful Eight because we saw that in seventy. Uh, on a film print, 70 millimeter, yeah, Moonlight. Um, and then Fences, I really like the performances in Fences. And then at the end, I put Cafe Society, Midnight in Paris, and Irrational Man, which are all more Woody <laughs> Allen movies. <laughs> so that was a lot more than five, Keith. I'm sorry, but I again, I was bombarded with notes today, and I couldn't I couldn't reference everything while I was typing so, on my phone. So I'm curious. Um, Cafe Society, sorry to cut you off, Matt, yeah, but this ahead. is my time. Cafe Society kind of takes the blueprint from the, um, from this movie a little, the one we're talking about, uh, Star is Born. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah totally. I didn't even think of that. Very similar, except with like the weird old man and young woman relationships. <laughs> and and the horse-drawn carriage. It's definitely not a Woody Allen motif. <laughs> there was probably a horse-drawn carriage somewhere in Cafe Society. That was also uh, Woody Allen's first film shot on digital. That was when was he first re- made his jump. Was it really? Yeah, and it was a everyone was making a big deal about it. And he's like, "Whatever, a movie's a movie." I thought I thought that this last one was the first one shot on digital. No, Cafe Society was shot on the Sony F sixty five. I want to say, or F fifty five. I forgot okay. what it's called, but yeah, uh, very. Was that the very, one that I he shot in Rhode Island, or was that Irrational Man? That, that was, was Irrational Man. Man. Wasn't that also a really a relationship with a young with a young woman and an older man? They all they all are. Yes, they all are. <laughs> <laughs> interesting considering the relationship that he's currently in so i'm curious keith when you said that you liked the hateful eight because you saw it in 70 millimeter um you saw a 70 millimeter print to you what is it about seeing a seeing a movie in film seeing a film presentation of a movie versus seeing it on a digital projection because a lot of people probably all of our listeners won't be able to tell the difference or don't know that there's a difference or so what what are your thoughts on that 
Well, now I think it's just, you know, I, I, I feel like back in the day, probably during the time of A Star is Born 1937, that movies were like big events. Like every movie was a big event. Like probably it would, you know, people were spending money. They were traveling into the city to see these films, that type of thing. As I was driving through Providence today, because we were there to go to City Hall, which is a whole other story, but we were passing all these places that used to be movie palaces that aren't anymore. And it, it just is interesting to think that, you know, you could get... 500 to 1,000 people on one night to see one film all together, which is sort of a cool thing. Is that how big those um, theaters were? Yeah, I mean, you know, I only compare it to, like, so PPAC, right, that's huge, has three balconies. People went there to see one movie at a time. When you think of that, that's nuts, right? Like, now we go to a movie at 9 o'clock at night, and, like, it's just me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um uh-huh. So, and when we go to Texas to South by Southwest and we go to the Paramount Theater, there's like over a thousand seats in there and like they're all full for these premieres and it's like a very different way of watching movies. So I think that anything that's sort of like a spectacle now is sort of exciting for me to see because I feel like other than that, it's just average. Um, But there is something about like seeing the film grain and things that other people really aren't going to notice or get excited about. And we got a free booklet, right? We did get get a booklet. We did get a booklet. I like booklets. So. <laughs> so the film grain, so you can you can see in the projection that it's grainier. You can see it. I mean, and what we saw was bigger, right? The uh, the aspect ratio was bigger than any of the digital projections. I think. Right. Wasn't there? And the, w- w- did you did you see Interstellar with me? But did we w- did we go? Was were you in that class where we went to see Interstellar? No. <laughs> were you were you in the sound design class when we saw? I Interstellar? was. I was. We saw we saw Gravity. In our class, and we saw yeah. like a Captain America oh. movie. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we went to see Interstellar. I think one year in the sixteen millimeter class because they were projecting it on IMAX film. Yeah, I did see it in IMAX though, and it was awesome. Okay. But not with yeah. you guys. Yeah. And the aspect ratios all change, which is really interesting. That movie. Oh my god, I loved that movie so much. <laughs> but even now, even now, like I really have not that much interest in Star Wars. But if I'm going to see it, I think I want to see it like with all the bells and whistles. Yeah. Well, wasn't you know. the last one shot on film? Partly. Oh, okay. And if you have if you haven't seen the documentary that goes along with that film, The Director and the Jedi, have you seen that? No. No. Oh, so it's on the Blu-ray, but we went to the premiere at South by this year. It's really, really interesting and it shows them and how they work and it, it's a really cool behind the scenes look at sort of what's going on. I really liked it a lot. So Star Wars was at the forefront of digital innovation because The Phantom Menace was the first film that was shot completely digitally. And uh, Attack of the Clones was the first feature that was um, presented digitally, first one that was projected on a digital projector. So interesting. Well, that's great, but like it needs to be good <laughs> to, to matter, right? That's, tr- that's true. That's true. <laughs> that reminds me of of in that class that Keith was just talking about. We watched the it was a Captain America Winter Soldier in that class, and we all sit down. The mall's closed. We all just sit down together, and Keith's like, "All right, why would someone?" watch a movie like this <laughs> do you remember saying that keith yeah I, I would never have gone to that movie i just but it was the I only thing it, so it was funny. the only option we had so i was like well let's just do it <laughs> what about those movies doesn't appeal to you i don't know i feel like it's all about sort of like i mean i just said spectacle and now this is about spectacle but i i think it, i i mean differently like sort of i'm talking about presentation and it's like all about special effects like i think Something with so much special effects doesn't really do it for me. And the Star Wars thing, to be honest with you, I don't know how I'll feel about anything else because I really enjoyed it because the old characters were in it. Mm-hmm. 
and I felt good about that. But after that's after they're all gone, I don't really know if I'm gonna care anymore. True, and they are all pretty. They are all gone. <laughs> yeah, I know. What's interesting is. A Star is Born would probably be considered a blockbuster in 1937. Right. Right? Because, I mean, like, Technicolor was the spectacle back then. They even read a, uh, a New York Times article. They, I mean, it was actually a, a, a debatable topic about movies becoming talkies and movies becoming um, color versus black and white. Like, would sure. it detract from the story? Would it detract from the acting and writing? And... Uh, it was interesting. The New York Times gave it a favorable review. They were like, "Oh, it's it's uh, it's very understated," and it is is interesting to be to see them talking about color as if it was something that could ruin movies instead of enhance them. And now you're talking about that with CGI and green screen. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's ruining movies. I just think that's not what I'm looking for when I'm going to a movie. You know, right. Even though, you know, I saw Black Panther and I thoroughly enjoyed that. I was, I just watched something and now I can't remember what it was, but there was people, it might have been the Melissa McCarthy movie. I, I don't know. I've seen so many horrible things lately, but, um, and they were in, they were at, like walking during a sunset. And I was like, oh my God, this is totally green screen because the scene is going on forever. It doesn't look super real and there's no way they could film this in such a short amount of time, right? Um, so even that took me out. Because I was like, this is fake, you know? Like, much like that sunset in A Star is Born at the end, right before he walks out to the ocean. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like, I'm going to walk out onto this stage. <laughs> and you just see this horribly fake sunset. <laughs> yeah, you don't know that they're at the beach until it's like, oh, I'm just going to go for a walk and kill myself in the ocean. <laughs> it's like, I guess they live on the beach. And at first I was like, does he not have a bathing suit on? And I was like, oh, he's going to die. You don't need it. They should just change the name of the movie called You Don't Need a Bathing Suit to Kill Yourself. Maybe they, maybe I'll send Bradley Cooper a, a note. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness well yes it's a spoiler alert so at the end of the movie janet gainer's character vicky lester who formerly known as esther victoria decides that she's going to give up her career to take care of the alcoholic husband uh yes she does in fact marry norman Maine. um and norman is so heartbroken by this that he sacrifices himself so that she can continue on with her career pretty depressing ending to a movie that was so funny this movie just, I, I wasn't really getting the feel for what I was supposed to root for because his character was such a sleazy, awful character and she just kind of dates him instantly and she doesn't do anything to achieve what what she achieves. And I was just like, where is this going and why why should I care? I didn't get that vibe at all. I didn't think that he was a sleazy character. I thought, I mean, he was an asshole in the beginning, but it was... It was clear to me that he was aware of his shortcomings and was trying to and was trying to better himself, but he just couldn't. To me, he seemed like a very conflicted character, but I liked him. I wanted I was rooting for him 
to recover. And and I didn't know what was going to happen at the end, which was another novelty. For but I'm talking about the beginning. Like, why why would she bother dating him? Like, when we all hate him in the beginning. It's like, oh, we don't want you to be with this guy. I thought it was going to go a different direction. Like, eventually she'll be with someone else that's better because she's such a nice, sweet girl. But all it is is like, oh, I found this guy and he's going to give me an opportunity. So I guess well, I, I'll I think that's marry the him. thing. I think I think that in a way it was that opportunity that sort of attracted her at first. Right. Yeah. But I didn't expect him to die either. In fact, I wrote did not expect him to die. And I put two exclamation points after that because I was just like, what? Like you expected a happy ending, right? Yeah. I expected him to get out of the sanitarium, only drink juice and everything to be fine. <laughs> and then yeah, the sleazy the publicist go ahead but but i mean is it yeah is no it no giving... go back to that this publicist says the worst like, things in, about him he, after like, he dies. instigates him he's such a prick yeah he, bob's favorite character basically kills norman Maine, the norman Maine. <laughs> and then after he dies he's sitting in the bar joking about it reading the newspaper headline that's yeah, the first drink of water he's had in years, and he had it by accident. <laughs> it's so fucked up. So fucked up. So fucked up. But one of the, but again, going back to what Keith said about how you, you didn't expect him to die, that's another way in which I felt this subverted the expectations of a movie of this time period. And the other thing was the subtlety of several of the you know the the motifs and themes that ran throughout the movie, like the walk of uh, the um, footprints in the cement that were Norman Maine's footprints at the Chinese theater that she steps in in the beginning and it's just like this fantasy and then she ends up marrying him and then at the end she sees the footprints again and they have a whole different meaning. That's just a level of complexity that I didn't expect for a movie this old. Maybe that's why it is considered such a timeless movie and they keep remaking it over and over and over again. Yeah, I was sort of interested in why they keep remaking this over and over again. I think now the remake is sort of based more on the Barbara Streisand movie, right? Because it's about music and Lady Gaga's in it and Bradley Cooper singing in it and that whole thing. And then I, right before we went on to record this, I just happened to look up, will Lady Gaga remake Barbara Streisand's Oscar-winning song from A Star Is Born? And there are some rumors that that may happen, so that's sort of interesting. Ooh. But, um, you know... Uh, it, it, it's almost like the theme of it is that you, you know, you can't let your woman be more successful than you or else you have to like kill yourself. You know what I mean? It's like, is it really, is it really that bad of a thing that like she is more successful than he is? I don't like, think so. That, I think he couldn't get, he couldn't get over that. I don't think so. I mean, I think, I think he was, I don't think he was depressed because she, I don't think she was depressed. I think he was depressed that he was a failure I don't think it had to do with her because you would think that if he was upset about her, then he would have taken it out on her in some way. But he never does. Like he still except supports when he, her. Except when he when he smacks her across the face at the Academy Awards by accident. <laughs> by accident. By accident. So yeah, so he's a little jealous that he's not successful, but he's not mad at her about it. I think he's mad at the industry about it. And everyone forgets him so quickly. <laughs> I find that so funny. It's like washed up actors. I still remember their names and their faces. <laughs> like it doesn't just get stricken from my memory <laughs> so quickly. But 
Apparently, the Oscar scene uh, was William uh, Wellman's way to get back at the Academy for not nominating him for Wings, which was the movie that won the first Best Picture in 1928. Not only was he not nominated, but he was not invited to the ceremonies. So he apparently he wrote the script and he said that the the rant that Norman gave is the rant that he wanted to give to the Oscar, the Academy, when he wasn't <laughs> invited to That's those cool. Oscars. Although he didn't miss much at the 1927 Academy Awards. That thing uh, wasn't that exciting. Would they have chicken on a cracker for dinner? And <laughs> it's only 15 minutes. <laughs> that's, that's true. He was nominated this year, Best Director. And Janet was also nominated for Best Actress, but she did not win. So should we talk about the Academy Awards? <laughs> Yeah, so these were the 10th Academy Awards, and uh, it only won one Oscar, and it was for Best Writing Original Story for William William Wellman and Robert Carson. But it was Didn't in- it win a second Oscar, though? There was, like, some special award? It won an honorary award, uh, Howard Green, for color photography, which I find funny that his last name is Green. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that was an honorary. But it was nominated for Best Writing Screenplay. Apparently... The screenplay was adapted from the story, which is written by William Wellman, which is weird that you would... It was almost like it was adapted from the treatment is, is sort of the vibe that I got. And so it was counted They as got a t- oddly specific at this Academy Awards. Like they had an assistant director award, a dance direction award. Yeah, both of those awards were removed after this year. It was the last year of both of those. So I really I really want them to bring Dance Direction Award back so I can win for my next production. <laughs> That's right. There's dance numbers in my next movie. You'll have some competition. Mama Mia, here we go again is coming out this year. I don't think that's how you should say the title. I think it's Mama Mia, here we go again. <laughs> I don't think I think it needs to be more enthusiastic than that. <laughs> no, it's like why make this movie again? Here we go again. <laughs> that should also be the the Subtitle for the My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3 that they'll eventually make. Because they already made one with Joey <laughs> Fatone a couple of years ago. So they're due for to make it a trilogy. Um, yeah, Janet Gaynor was nominated, did not win. And also uh, Best Assistant Director, like you said, Eric Stacy was nominated but did not win. Strange, strange nomination categories. Snow White this year was only nominated for one nomination, Best Score. Despite being the first full-length Technicolor animated film and being widely considered one of the best movies of all time, kind of a snub, maybe a nominee for best biggest snub. At the up- oh yeah, once the once the second annual bodies go around, even though they're not annual, but we're gonna say annual anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it also I found it funny that they nominated twelve different movies for art direction. And A Star is Born was not nominated. And they nominated 14 for music. <laughs> 14 movies for music. <laughs> that Whoever announced that on stage had to probably take like a drink of water and then continue <laughs> naming all these movies. That is insane. An insane. I even noticed that they had a lot for um, Best Assistant Director where there were a t- shit ton nominated. In like 1933, there were like 14 or 15. So How do they judge that? I don't know, right? Because it's like the job of an assistant director is basically just to keep order on set and keep the keep the show on track. So how do you judge that? I guess movies that finished on time and 
<laughs> I don't know, I guess, right? <laughs> it is it is a very odd category to <laughs> to really it's like nominating offensive like offensive tackles for the Pro Bowl. It's just really it's really difficult. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's watch the highlight video. Uh, you can't. <laughs> yeah, what do you show for like the the slideshow of the assistant directors? It's not like you can. I guess you could show them yelling action and cut. Quiet on set. <laughs> so, yeah, the Academy Awards. So exciting. Walt Disney won an animated award. <laughs> he's just always winning. That guy. Oh yeah, he's sweeping up. He was sweeping up. So as far as Janet Gaynor is concerned, did you know that she had a secret love affair with Charles Farrell from Seventh Heaven? I did not know that. The street sweeper? Wow. She got swept away. She did. Was she she married? She was not. She was not married at the time. But they had carried on a secret love affair. Douglas Fairbanks would assist them in keeping it a secret by driving them to a secluded cabin, dropping them off, and then just going out sailing for the day. And coming back and picking them up and bringing them back into the city at the end of the day. Strange r- romance with Janet Gaynor. She did end up getting married three times, I think, throughout her life. But um, And Douglas Fairbanks was also a founder of the Chinese theater and the second person to have his feet in the cement at the Chinese theater, which is one of the locations where they shot for this movie, Stars Born. Interesting. You know what else is interesting, Matt? Picking a year? Yep, picking our year. Well, Bob, I'm glad you asked. What year? Well, the year is 1963. Cannot wait. So go ahead and take a quick break. We will come right back with our final thoughts on A Star is Born. The rich human interest story of Hollywood is filled with happiness and despair. Joy and tragedy. A crazy quilt of madness, sanity, laughter, and tears. The desperate struggle to reach the top and the battle to remain there. Salesnick International brings you Janet Gaynor and Frederick March, with a notable supporting cast including Adolf Manju in the role of a producer. You're not in jail, are you? May Robson. Hello, can you hear me? Andy Devine as an assistant director. Quiet! Quiet! Lionel Stander as a headline-grabbing press agent. And Edgar Kennedy. Oh. They come to you in Hollywood's first true story. Rising from the heartaches and laughter of a million men and women. All right. Welcome back to the podcast goes to. Got a fun episode here with our special guest, Keith Brown. Keith, what else you got to say about this movie, man? So two other things that I notice. One, which will have no meaning to any of you, but I got very excited that there was a character named Danny McGuire because that's Gene Kelly's character in the amazing 1980 film Xanadu. And then also, <laughs> um, I love when the producer told uh, our our uh, lead character there, uh, Esther Hester, what, what's her name again? Vivian? It's, v- it's Vicky, Vicky Lester. Vicky, Vicky Lester, but her name is really Hester or it's Esther. Victoria. Yeah, it's- Esther Victoria. Victoria. No, she has this, a third name. It's Esther Victoria Blodgett. Blodgett. Yeah, Blodgett. Right? Yeah. I love how he tells her to keep her mouth closed even in love scenes. <laughs> that was the whole the, that whole sequence where they were like getting her ready for becoming an actress in Hollywood, right? Where like she goes to like the stylists and then she goes to the acting coach and then this person and that person and they give her all these weird <laughs> notes on how to be an actress. I thought that was a fun little kind of mockery of how it is in Hollywood. 
Oh, for sure. And I liked that. It, I, I like when they were trying to fix her eyebrows and they had three different eyebrows. And then someone makes a comment later about like, oh, what was it? It was like opinions change like eyebrows or something like that. I was like, this is the weirdest analogy Yeah, ever. now they're going for a natural. And he like winks his eyebrows. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Tastes, tastes are like eyebrows. They're always changing. <laughs> what? <laughs> but... Yeah. Yeah, I liked that too. And since it was parodying Hollywood, some of the more sexist scenes I felt were intentionally sexist as opposed to a product of the time period. I didn't find this film particularly cringeworthy in that regard, despite some of the uh, some of the old-timey tropes of the roles of male and female. That's definitely fair. It's it, it, they really were like picking Hollywood apart, so the fact that this was nominated at the academy awards was was interesting i guess they're self-aware they found this film entertaining anyway yeah and i think it was really popular to make films like this back in the day because even this um even this other movie um what price hollywood or something like that from 1932 they almost sued the producers of this movie because it was so similar i think it was like a popular thing to do was shine a light on hollywood and even today like Movies like Birdman and all, you know, movies like that are constantly, oh, La La Land, of course. They're always making movies like this and the Academy loves them. Yeah, there is a a lot of, a lot of this for sure. Like Neon Neon Demon, this kind of reminded me of like the the less (laughs) crazy version of Neon Demon. I don't know if you saw that film. No. Ooh, awesome movie. Highly recommend. It was the same guy that made Drive, I believe. Okay. Uh, really cool. It's like Elle Fanning is a aspiring model, and she moves to L.A. at like the age of like seventeen, and she's trying to make it, and it's just brutal out there. It is brutal. That is the harsh reality. I know. And I'm swimming in it, Matt. I'm swimming in the shit. <laughs> and ultimately, Waiting for that big break. Ultimately, to me, that's what this movie was about. It was about the the brutality of trying to chase your dreams. It always ends up costing you something, and in this case, it cost her the happiness that she had gained from it, and all that was left was the the work aspect of it. She found that what her dreams were were different from what she thought they were. And it's exactly what Grandma told her in the beginning. Yes, Grandma lays it out. Loved that scene. I thought the writing was was really sharp in this. I don't know, if Keith, if you felt that way about the dialogue and the overall story arcs of the characters. You and your movies, that's all you think about. That's what she said, right? <laughs> no, that's that was the, the aunt. The aunt. Yeah. Oh, that's what the aunt said. We're yeah. talking about the, the nice, the, the grandmother. The, the grandmother who says, I was in love with your grandfather and some Indian devil put a bullet through him. <laughs> I'm Those really, I really want, did you, did you end up watching the 1950 something version? No, the no? Judy Garland version? Yeah. No, I wanted to. I guess that one's a musical. I'm curious how the others are similar. Yeah, me too. So the 1954 one is Judy Garland and it was a musical. She was nominated for that for Best Actress, but she lost to Grace Kelly and she was recovering in the hospital during, during the ceremonies from giving birth. And then the 1976 version is Barbara Streisand, and it's a rock musical, I guess. Ooh. Now she's a folk singer. And I think they, I mean, I think, I think both of Barbara those films Streisand. are probably, probably like vehicles for those specific stars. So I think they were, they were molded around the talents of those 
individuals. Right. So then we have the 2018 Lady Gaga version, which is being directed by Bradley Cooper, his directorial debut. And originally Beyonce was going to be co-starring and Clint Eastwood was going to be directing. But since then it has morphed and has become yet another, um, now it's a country singers. It's not a country, a struggling country singer. So I saw Bradley Cooper's interview on Ellen talking about it the other day as a, after I saw this film, and he was talking about how he's not really a singer, but uh, he does sing in the movie. And, you know, he's hoping that, you know, Stephanie, he called her, sort of, it's a vehicle for her, too. Um, but it's interesting when you have actors that don't really sing, trying to sing. And then you have an, you know? a singer who's trying to act. <laughs> Right. I think that, right. and then I think Lady so, Gaga, Stephanie, excuse me, convinced Bradley Cooper to let them do it live, to sing live, like they did with for Les Mis. Okay. So it's they did not do any lip syncing for this. They they sang live while they were shooting, which is pretty unique. And it's a critique a lot of people have on on musicals. I find is that the music performances are just kind of not real. It's just something's off. So that's that's awesome for them that they did that. Well, you know, weirdly, weirdly enough, I never sit down and like turn the TV on and find a movie and be like, I'm going to watch this. But the night before I watched A Star is Born, I was down at the beach house and I, I, you know, I never have time to do this. And I turned the TV on and The Wiz was on, which I don't think I've seen in a really long time or I've ever seen. And you know what? It's Diana Ross and Michael Jackson. And the the music is very bizarre because Diana Ross is like crying in the scene, but clearly in the the vocal recording she's not crying while singing. So it seems weird that she's singing and she's just like, uh, you know, because it's not. It doesn't <laughs> seem like it goes. So sort of like in the King and I. Let's not uh, diss the King and I. Okay. Well, it. It only got what the worst movie of the ten movies we watched award. Yeah, it won the it won the potty for worst picture. <laughs> but uh, so I'm curious, I'm curious what you guys think about. Should they do a remake for this where they swap the characters? Do you, don't you think it's time that we have a struggling male and an alcoholic female character? How much how much different do you think a movie like that would be? There is that one movie that's coming out where the guy falls in love with like the old school like older woman that used to be a star which movie is that i don't know i've been seeing previews for it like when i when i see artsy movies they always have is it something like you don't die in something or i can't remember i can't remember what it was film stars don't die in liverpool is it that yes Yeah, yeah, that's the one I'm talking about. A young so actor that. and a Hollywood leading lady. Oh my god, this is the movie. Oh wait, it's a yeah, biography. So. Hold on. So A wrong. romance sparks between a young actor <laughs> and a Hollywood leading lady. With Annette Benning. There you go. Yeah. That's supposed to be good. That I think that's already been out. I think that was out during Oscar season. Yeah. Really? It is it available on is it available online now? It's nominated for three BAFTAs. Oh, maybe I'm just... It's available on... Yeah, it's available on Amazon Prime for five ninety nine. Oh, wow. I'm really all disoriented then. Based on a memoir. It's based on a true story. It's based on Peter Turner's life. Well, that's cool. If I knew who that was. Well, I'm glad you asked. Peter Turner was born in February in Liverpool, 1952. <laughs> known for The Tempest. Liverpool? 
So maybe they have made this movie. It's interesting. They made so many movies that are like this. And I and you can't even claim that they got the idea from this because even this movie rips from earlier movies that were very similar. I think it just speaks to a lot of people. It's, it's very simple. Everyone, you know, wants wants their fame and and loves seeing other people you know kind of slip through the crap, you know, or rise up the ranks and and make it. I just again like this felt like I don't know the the Pokemon TV show, just like this woman didn't achieve anything by herself, and it really bugged. She me. was talented though, but like think about it. She like she goes to she goes to Hollywood. She doesn't make it at all. She's mm-hmm. struggling. Then that dude gets her the waitress job at the place. She didn't do anything for that. He just got her the job. Then he she meets the guy. And the guy instantly just falls in love with her and decides to make her an actress. Like, she never once, like, did anything. And when I think about characters... But what would she have done? I don't know. You know, done something to, like, make herself something. It's it it's unsettling for me to go, like, oh, this is my main character. I'm rooting for her to win. But I want her to just, like, get handouts and favors to get her way there. Not work her way there. You know what I'm saying? Like, she didn't really do anything. But that's sort of Hollywood, and isn't kind of... it? I mean, that's that's how it works. You have to know somebody. And she put but herself she didn't in even a position like to and... know somebody. Yes, yes no, she, she did. Didn't. She was friendly with that. She went she to, a like, a dinner party. assistant director who put her in a position to network. And then she just put those plates away in such a great, <laughs> such a great way. <laughs> I don't know. It just, it just, that kind of stuff. That kind you of stuff needed, bugs like, a Rocky me. Balboa like when I look at characters, sequence of her training. Yeah, <laughs> I definitely need that. I just I look at it as like every character has like you know they're not all superhero movies, but they have a superpower. Something gets them mm-hmm. somewhere. But like her superpower is what she's quaintly nice, <laughs> like she's sweet. <laughs> it's like her she's kind of naive. Like I I don't know like. Everyone has their their ability that gets them their goal that they want. And I, I just felt like she didn't have that. Keith, what are your thoughts? In regards to her character? In regards to her character and her character's journey and how she obtained her success. I mean, like I said before, I I expected her to work a little harder, to struggle more. You know, it was... I felt like she had no money. I don't know how much the grandmother gave her, how much time she had. You know, I think the stakes could have been raised if, like, she had to do something by so many weeks in L.A. because of, you know, her financial situation. But, again, I give I give it a lot of leeway, I think, because it's so old and I don't really know what you need to survive in a city like that in 1937 for a period of time. You know, six dollars, six dollars, <laughs> and don't be a cowboy. Like, how is she eating? And like, you know, all this, and don't be a cowboy. Yeah, definitely no cowboys. Get the hell out of here. And there was that one scene that kind of confused me. It was the uh, the landlord dude where he wrote her a note, like, "Hey, you owe me twenty four dollars." So I guess she was four months or four weeks behind, right. a month behind, because he liked her. And then he just rips it up. Yeah, it's like, what is this? <laughs> yeah. What does this signify? <laughs> like, I think it signified that he liked her. Like, okay, it establishes Unle- uh, it establishes that she's except broke, for when I she guess? gets phone calls at three in the morning, because then that's not make does not make the landlord very happy. And then he gets hit in the head with a light bulb. <laughs> yeah, he walks right into that bulb and it like bursts. It exploded, 
but the light was still intact. <laughs> that didn't really make much sense. It was like there were two light bulbs, part. one within another, and one of them broke open, and the other one bopped him on the head. Cool. So, any final thoughts on the movie? I mean, that was pretty much my my final thought, was that she didn't work at all to get where she was, just like Ash Ketchum in the Pokemon series, where he wins gym badges for being a nice guy and not winning battles. Pissed me off. <laughs> That was uh, for all those listeners who also are Pokemon fans, which narrows it down to about no one. Just you when you (laughs) re-listen. I mean, maybe if Jeff Ferrara listened to this podcast, but I know he definitely does not. Maybe that that should be your goal. (laughs) To get Jeff to listen. Jeff Ferrara to listen to the podcast, yes. (laughs) I mean, I think, you know, I think that... So last year we started a screening series, Another Professor and I, and um, uh, it was fun to get the students to watch things they hadn't watched before and it's the same thing i felt like that's what i was getting to do by having you guys invite me on this because you know i probably wouldn't have watched this otherwise um but i do really want to watch the other versions and not right away but uh, you know i I really am curious to see how things shifted based on i'm more curious for the 1976 version how how sort of like the representation of female and male roles could have changed from 1937 to 1976 you know because you would think that you would assume that things would change that way especially with the women's roles even though we did say that she wasn't she wasn't you know she was sort of a stronger character in regards to you know what she would or wouldn't put up with to sort of get her fame but i'm sort of curious on how that works later yeah yeah and she ends up taking care of him a little bit so, I, I, you know, he was the one who was seen as pathetic and who needed taken care of. I thought that was, it was an interesting switch from the beginning when she needed the favors and then he needed the favors. But you're right. And, and it's particularly the 2018 version coming out in a couple of months, what they do with the, with the roles. I, and I imagine, I, I imagine that it will be less about her needing him and more about them teaming up together. I don't know, but we'll see. We'll see. So I guess the only thing left to do is pick our movie for next week. Oh, but I want to just keep talking to you guys. This is like, this is a surreal moment. This is, this is all where it all began. Do you realize that my film, my film career or my lack thereof, my, my trying to be a filmmaker. It all started here with you guys. I was in, film film 110 the first production course the first filmmaking i ever did keith's class and matt you were my ta this is right here this is where it all started now we're sitting here talking about movies from 1937 from 1937 i would cry but i wasted all those tears watching the danish girl so i can't (laughs) uh yeah so (laughs) great (laughs) <laughs> just All pick right, the year pick the movie <laughs> i got i got deep for a moment and you just, yeah you just um it. yeah Bob, it was a pleasure teaching you i wish i could go back and fail you and change the timeline well grade wise you might have not failed me but you failed me <laughs> in other ways matt <laughs> that's probably true it's funny we were on final cut pro 7 at that point obs- completely obsolete now you laugh, but we we use a lot of seven at my my job. Really? How is that possible? It because it won't let me use have, it anymore. On we my have old Mac. Macs that are 
that are specifically designed for Final Cut 7. There are certain types of projects we have to use it for. Like what types? Uh, photo montages for bar mitzvahs. <laughs> anyway, pick the movie. This has <laughs> right. nothing to do with anything. <laughs> uh, next week, I the can... nominees for podcast subject. I never said it like this. Um, so our movie <laughs> nominees for next week's episode are Tom Jones. America, it's America. not unusual to have Cleopatra. <laughs> How the West was won. And Lilies of the Field. Isn't Cleopatra like nine hours long? Cleopatra is 248 minutes long. And so it's four hours and eight minutes long? Is that, yeah, however long that is, that's how long. So I bet you me. there was an intermission during that screening when it originally played. You could have gone. Oh, or the- two. It yeah. might have been two. I wonder but what time that I, movie started. Oh, man. So many bathroom break opportunities. <laughs> oh, my God. Your P app would be going through, like, going off every five minutes. <laughs> fun fun uh, fact about the P app is, you know when it started? You know when it was conceptualized? During Phantom Thread? Oh, I mean, you could have peed during the whole movie and not missed anything. But <laughs> it was they thought of the idea while watching the was it 2005 king kong remake the peter jackson one uh-huh. when they're like i wish i just knew when i could go to the bathroom <laughs> during this movie <laughs> that's brilliant i have ideas like that but i don't have an app developer to to create the p app for me so unfortunately my ideas just go into the trash bin until i see someone like i came up with the idea that you should be able to this is the dumbest idea ever but you should be able to take a picture of a flower, like be able to scan a flower and the app would tell you what kind of flower it is or what kind of tree. Microsoft made that app. <laughs> I was so mad. It's because they're spying on you, Matt. They they heard your idea and they made it and now they're making trillions of dollars off I of know, it. I know, I know. Next week... Keith looks so I can't see his face, but I assume it is. Next week, the podcast goes to Lilies of the Field. Can't wait for that. Shout out to one of my many siblings, Lily, who's definitely not listening to this. Maybe this is about her. Was she conceived in a field? Uh, Probably. Mm -hmm. I don't know. (laughs) All right, guys. Well, it was a real pleasure talking to you all. Keith, I hope to have you back on soon. Cool. Thank you. Anytime. That sounded enthusiastic. And what I heard from Matt was, Keith, I'll have you back instead of Bob as soon as as soon as possible. <laughs> <laughs> that's not true. I read into both of you guys. <laughs> I see it all. So you're saying that's what I want to happen. And Keith is saying, no, thank you. You're stuck with my Bob. God. This is so, so much subtext. Yes, in this essentially. It's very it's multi-layered, like a push a T distract. There's a lot of. There's a lot of layers of drama. <laughs> Matt and I have a feud that goes back to the dawn of time. <laughs> all right. Well, we will see you all next week on another episode of the podcast goes to.